0: Today's readings are from the books of Acts and Philippians. Uh, Chapter 16, verse 11 From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. And in Philippians, verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, Grace and peace to you from, our, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the church at Fernie Hill
1: began uh, roughly around 1966. Uh, there had been believers in the area uh, whose desire to meet together. But the first breaking of bread service was in October 1966. And they met in various different locations round the area before the building was built and as you know that was finished 50 years ago Uh, and we're here because we're renovating and uh, extending so that it will be a place for the next 50 years where fernie hill can uh, meet together can fellowship together can care for each other together and evangelize together as well as worshiping together every church fellowship has a beginning. And as we come to look at Paul's letter to the Philippians, we read a bit about how that church began in Acts 16. And Drew, uh, sorry, Drew, sorry, Ross, uh, Ross read that to us. So, Irene's already done this, 66 books in the Bible. Uh, The letters of Paul make up a significant part of the New Testament. And the letter to the church at Philippi is one of his first ones uh, in that second shelf down after the Gospels and Acts. Now, Philippi uh, was the first European city that the Apostle Paul spent any time in. And here is a a proposed lifetime of Paul with dates uh, attached to it. As you know, he was born in Tarsus. He was a Roman citizen. He was a Jewish scholar, and he persecuted the early church. And he was on his way to Damascus when he met with the risen Lord, that so-called Damascus road experience which still is a term you'll hear today for transformation in people's life that is so extraordinary it almost is unbelievable that Damascus road experience with uh, for Paul led to Jesus sending him with the gospel to the Gentiles and that after a period of preparation Uh, probably two or three years, led to him and Barnabas being sent uh, from Antioch, their home church, on the first missionary journey. And that first first missionary journey took Paul and Barnabas to Asia, that kind of big uh, pinkish area in the middle there. And so then they returned to Antioch after that first missionary journey and after another uh, short time not Barnabas this time but Paul and Silas went out on the second missionary journey and that second missionary journey took them uh, to the edge of Asia to Troas and they had anticipated going into Bithynia and back into Asia But Luke tells us in Acts that they were stopped from doing that by the Holy Spirit. And then Paul had a vision where a man of Macedonia stood and begged him. And this is what he said, come over to Macedonia and help us. And Luke tells us in Acts that the very next day we got ready at once, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them, them being the Macedonians. And as you can see from that map, Philippi is just a bit inland from the boarding point from Neapolis. And that was a major city, as we read, between Rome and Asia. It was named after Philippa Macedonia, who was the father of Alexander the Great, that was the city that they went out from as Alexander the Great conquered the known world at that time. That was the 3rd century BC. But by the time it came to AD 50, when Paul and his companions were coming to Philippi, it was a Roman colony. And that means it was a mini-Rome. The citizens who lived there had the same uh, credentials as Roman citizens. They had all those benefits Uh, The infrastructure, legal system, government was Roman. However, there doesn't appear to have been a synagogue there because, as we read, on the Sabbath, Paul went out of the city to the river, to what was called the place of prayer. For a synagogue to be functioning as a place of prayer, you needed ten male Jews And so it doesn't appear that there was 10 male Jews in Philippi at this time. Um, When Paul was at the river, he met Lydia. And we read that she was a worshiper of God. And when she heard the gospel, she responded to it. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message, is what Luke tells us. And the rest of the chapter, Acts 16, goes on to tell us about the other founding members, if you like, of the church in Philippi. Verses 16 to 18, we read about the slave girl. Um, She was possessed by a spirit that could tell the future. And the spirit within her, used to call out to Paul and Silas as they walked around. These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. And eventually, Paul uh, said to that spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. And uh, if you know the story, uh, her owner's weren't too happy about that and incited a bit of a riot because they'd lost their income and that riot resulted in paul and silas being put into prison uh, but instead of feeling sorry for themselves they sang hymns and prayers and at midnight there was an earthquake all the chains were loosened uh, and the jailer woke up uh, And he was um, about to fall on his sword when Paul shouted to him that he should not harm himself because no one had left. They were all still here is what he had said. And clearly the message that Paul and Silas had been taking round Philippi must have been whispered around because the man's first response, the jailer's first response was, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This rough and ready working man knew he needed saved. And Paul's reply, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And by the end of verse 34 of Acts 16, we read that the jailer, was filled with joy that night because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. The first church in European soil started with a religious businesswoman, Lydia, a broken, wounded, abused, marginalised slave girl and a rough and ready working man, the Philippian jailer. People with different life experiences, different upbringings, but all come to realize that they needed saved and that Jesus was the only one who could save them because, as Peter reminded the crowd in Acts 2, there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Now this all happened 2,000 years ago. Just over 50 years ago, before there was a church building at Fernie Hill, Mary Marriott heard the gospel uh, and knew she needed Jesus and was baptized. We all know her now as Mary Summers. Charles was baptized in the church building a few years later. Churches have a beginning, but the founding and the foundation of Fernie Hill Evangelical Church is the same as the church in Philippi 2,000 years ago because salvation is only found in Jesus Christ. So that was about AD 50, and the letter we're going to be concentrating on over the next three months or so was written by Paul probably around A.D. 62, some 12 years later. Paul had visited the church again in Philippi on his third missionary journey. He'd had visits from individuals from the church. He'd had letters from the church. And the letter that we know as Philippians is written in response to one such visit by a man called Epaphroditus, who we read about in chapter 2 of Philippians. The church at Philippi had been a huge encouragement to Paul in his ministry. He had supported him financially, and Epaphroditus had brought one of these gifts to Paul, as well as news of what was going on in the church in general. Uh, and it wasn't all good, as we'll find out later in the series when we get to chapter Four So to look a bit more at the letter itself, Irene's been very helpful in our kids' talk and setting this up, because there is a pattern to letters that are written, and the, the pattern at this time was that you started with the sender, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. And followed that by the recipient to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. And then there was a greeting. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. At this point, we don't know where Paul is. We do know from verse 14 uh, in chapter 1, that he's in prison, he's in chains. Where the prison is situated, there's a bit of debate. Some say Ephesus, N.T. Wright says Ephesus. Uh, Others think it's more likely to be Rome because of the uh, comment about Caesar's household in the final greetings in chapter 4. He is in prison, however, uh, and Timothy is also included with paul timothy as we focused on his letter second letter a few i think it was last year you know he was a young man from lystra uh, and paul had been his mentor uh, and he went on to become a very influential leader in the church at ephesus but at this time he's with paul uh, And instead of being regarded as a trainee or mentee, Paul very much regards him now as a co-worker, Paul and Timothy. He was the man that Paul was going to pass the baton on to in terms of preaching and teaching the gospel, certainly in Ephesus. Now, if you read through the letter, uh, then you get some hints about What's going on in the, uh, the culture at the time, the secular and spiritual context in Philippi and around Paul? So, these are just one or two phrases that give you that flavour. In chapter 2, verse 15, Paul says that the Philippians are in a warped and crooked generation. In verse 21, He describes those around him as looking out for their own interests. And in the next chapter, Paul says that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. The letter was written 2,000 years ago, but Paul's description of what was going on in society at Philippi then is easily transferable, I think how we find ourselves in 2022 in the southeast of Edinburgh and I suppose we shouldn't be surprised at that given that society involves human beings uh, and despite the technological and uh, sophistication and wealth uh, of our generation the human heart hasn't changed we are a generation that looks uh, to our own interests. We live in a generation that is obsessed with self, Self self-definition, self-fulfillment, and the pursuit of self-esteem. And this year, um, when we were at Keswick, the the Keswick Lecture in week one was all about that issue. Uh, And Glenn Harrison, a Christian psychiatrist, spoke about the inward turn uh, that humankind has been obsessed with in recent decades, turning into ourselves. Uh, Wendy and I also went to the seminars that Glenn Harrison um, gave in the morning, and these were really uh, focused on presenting evidence about uh, well-being and, and um, how that can be improved, and the interesting thing was that they all involved decentering ourselves, avoiding that inward turn and looking out. And the few things that he uh, damaged, uh, presented data on were um, serving serving in community, that de-centers ourselves and evidence for that and certainly for us, community would be our church. Secondly, it was cultivating gratitude in our hearts. Now, St. Augustine described sin as home incurvatus in se in Latin, which literally means caving in on ourselves. Uh, When we are grateful, we look out. We look out, give thanks for something, give thanks to someone. We decenter ourselves. And obviously as Christians, that focus of gratitude is towards God. And the third emotion he called it, which is decentering, it was that of awe. And this was quite interesting. He he highlighted a study that had been done um, where the participants, the subjects, took an all-walk for 15 minutes every week. So they weren't uh, looking at a phone or answering the phone. They were to just walk and be struck and be awestruck by what they see. And as part of that, they they had to take a picture, a selfie of themselves with something that they were awestruck by. And by the end of the the study, eight weeks, the participants had an increased sense of well-being, um, according to the measures of the study. And interestingly, the selfies that they had taken, they themselves had moved from the center to the periphery of the photograph's. They had decentered themselves even in the photos. And that's good for us because that is the way that God has made us. That's what Jesus is like. We'll be looking at some famous verses in uh, Philippians 2 in a few weeks' time. And every time I read them, I'm filled with awe that Jesus, the eternal God, Son, would take on human nature, humble himself, serve the creatures he created and ultimately die on the cross for them. Jesus was completely devoted to serving others rather than himself, even to death on a cross, as those verses say. And Paul writes that there are many who live that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ, that cross we've been thinking about. And that remains true in our time too, doesn't it? Where there is at best indifference to the cross, but also outright offense towards the cross, the reality of a truth that requires us to acknowledge that we are sinners and that we need both forgiveness from a holy God, and saving from eternal judgment. That is offensive to many in our society. So there are plenty of similarities to the situation and challenges of the church in Philippi in AD 50 as to the challenges and situation around us here in 2022 in Edinburgh. Paul and Timothy are the writers and the recipients are all the saints in Christ Jesus in Philippi. The Greek word for for saint has the same root as holy and in the the version that Ross read, it talked about holy lives, holy people. Uh, and that, the Hebrew counterpart of that is more about being set apart. The believers in the church were Philippians, which uh, in the Roman Empire was a big thing politically, but they weren't set apart for any political issue. They were set apart by grace uh, in the eyes of a holy God. And if you're a Christian this morning, uh, you are a saint. Now, we don't uh, go around calling each other St. Donald or St. Mandy. Um, We wouldn't be in error if we did that. Um, What makes us saints is nothing to do uh, with any miracles that we might have done or setting up orphanages. It's all to do with our identity. Our identity is not one obsessed with self. But our identity is in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. We are all saints in Christ Jesus. It's our relationship with him that makes a difference. Our salvation comes in Christ Jesus. Our assurance and hope for now and the future is in Christ Jesus. We are in union with christ jesus and we might have had a a difficult week as a christian we might have felt that a abject sinner might be more appropriate than saint uh, as we come to church this morning might have had a rubbish week living out our faith but jesus has had a good one And the wonder of being in Christ Jesus is that God sees him rather than us. And that is why we are set apart as holy in his sight. Now, Paul talks about the overseers and deacons being included uh, as recipients, but I think that just means that it's for everyone in the church no specific instructions for the leaders they're all in the business of church community together and all need to hear what paul is saying to them in this christ-centered thank you letter so we've got the writer, we've got the recipient and then the greeting grace and peace to you from god our father and the lord jesus christ and this was a standard um, Christian greeting of the time. The Greeks were charis and Irene. So Irene, Irene, Saint Irene, her name comes from the word meaning peace, appropriate for our Irene. Peace, of course, can mean uh, different things. Uh, And in this context, I don't think it means the absence of conflict uh, because as we get to chapter 4, we'll find out that uh, the absence of conflict wasn't exactly true for the church in Philippi this time. I think it's more about a reconciliation type of peace that we have as a result of God's grace towards us in Jesus. And as Paul would write to uh, Romans Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Philippians is a letter centered on Jesus. Half the verses mention him. He is the focus. Right at the start, Paul identifies himself as a servant of Jesus rather than an apostle on this occasion, setting the tone for the letter. Paul's humility reflects the humility of Jesus uh, in that amazing passage in chapter 2. Our identity and our status is in Jesus. And in this letter, the apostle is absolutely certain of what that means for him, or what that meant for him, to be in Jesus. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain, Paul writes in chapter 1. Chapter 3 he writes, Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage or rubbish, so that I could gain Christ he was absolutely certain of his commitment to the Lord Jesus now you might if you grew up in the UK and you're my age or older you might remember this man Elizabeth is shaking her head. She's the same, he'd just be just about. So it must have been in the very early 70s. So this man is the Green Cross Code Man, David Prowse. Um And for those of you who are eh, a bit younger, he is Darth Vader. Yeah. So he was the man who was in the Darth Vader costume. But to me, he's the Green Cross Code Man. And this was the green cross code. Think about where you're going to cross the road. Stop, look and listen, and then cross. And, and the, the phrase was, the, the slogan, always use the green cross code because I won't be there when you cross the road. Um, and in a sense, as I was going through, i have got to read a couple, of, a, few, a couple of verses which made me think about this. And Paul wasn't physically with the church in Philippi, but what he had to tell them, and to tell us, is important. And when you get to the end of the book, Paul says, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. What we put into our minds, what we think is important because it invariably will lead to behavior. Thinking about a good place to cross the road is important for road safety. But Paul is telling us today that what we think about is important for our spiritual safety. Things that are excellent, noble, pure, praiseworthy. As saints in Christ Jesus, we need to ponder and reflect on him and not let our minds wander to places that stir up greed or resentment, lust, you focus and think on Jesus in those settings, he'll bring your mind back to him and things that are pure and good. And as we go through the letter together, there'll be times when we just stop and are in awe of what Jesus has done. And as I've said already, it's that passage principally in chapter 2 that makes me stop and be awestruck every time I read it. And there'll be plenty of opportunity to decenter ourselves as we go through the letter with our own moments of awe as we wonder again at what Jesus has done and continues to do for us. And in verse 9, Paul urges the recipients to look at his life, to listen to what he has said. And as we've already reflected, his life and his words are centered on Jesus. For Paul to live was Jesus. If he was breathing and was awake, he was serving him. And everything else was rubbish or garbage in comparison, he said. The aim of the Green Cross Code was that you would do the safe thing. You would cross, you would act appropriately when being in danger. And Paul tells us to put into practice what he's writing about in this letter. And in chapter 2, there are a couple of exhortations. You might not be able to read this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And another do, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Then you will be the pure and innocent children of God. You live among people who are crooked and evil, but you must not do anything they can say is wrong. Try to shine as lights among the people of this world as you hold firmly to the message that gives life. Paul was urging the Philippians to shine in the way that they lived for Jesus. It was countercultural, a life of service and humility, a life that would be so distinctive that it would shine brightly in a world that was crooked and evil. Today in Fernie Hill, you know, we are saints in Christ Jesus. And as we go through this letter over the, the next couple of months, let's take time to think more deeply about Jesus as we are awestruck by his humility. And let's also take time to to look to Paul's example of humility uh, and to listen to what he has to say about his unwavering identity in the Lord Jesus. And may that result in action so that we, too, might shine brightly for Jesus where we serve. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the Apostle Paul. We thank you for his commitment to the Lord Jesus, for him to live with Christ. And Father, we pray that as we go through this letter over these next few weeks, that that would be our experience too, that we would be so much uh, in love with the Lord Jesus, be captivated by him. That our experience too would be to live for him, for us to live would be Christ, and that we would shine brightly as we take his message to a crooked and evil generation. Father, we just want to come again and give thanks for Jesus, the one who is our Savior, the one who took on flesh, humbled himself, and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Help us as we seek to serve and to live for him, but we ask it in his name. Amen.